Hello Pod, Chris Hewitt here with yet another special Empire podcast just for you guys. Aren't we lovely? A couple of weeks ago, Edgar Wright, director of Spaced, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, dropped into the pod booth to have a chat with myself and Helen about his new interactive online comic book, The Random Adventures of Brandon Generator. He talked about writer's block, how the comic book came about, and all sorts of stuff about his career stretching back over a decade. The interview lasted almost an hour. We're proud to bring you the unexpurgated version right now. Enjoy. Uh, yeah, so we're here with Edgar Wright, movie director, raconteur, and now comic book creator with uh, the random adventures of Brandon Generator. Am I, am I a good raconteur? Yeah, you are. You tell a story. Okay, I'm not PC. You're about to I'm prove, PC, you're about to prove I'm it. I'm not PC Euston enough, though. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing like raconteur is like applies to Victor Spinetti and Pussy I just I just see you Who doing the sellout theatre tour. So Bernard Chamley. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah those two. Well, now we can add your name to it. Okay, but uh, let's but see. Anyway. Let's see how we get on. Yeah, I think I say amina and like too much for like a raconteur. <laughs> we will be judging. I genuinely you. have thought about going to see a speech therapist because I say kind of like a lot. Oh, sometimes yeah. when people some somebody cut together one of my interviews where they just had those bits and it was it was <laughs> appalling. It's absolutely appalling. What, like a footballer. Yeah. Also, like a couple of times, I've done interviews where somebody is, especially on the, it happens on the web. It doesn't happen with, like you know, proper journalists like you. But sometimes, like on the web, people will do a, a straight transcription of what you said, and that's horrifying. Yeah. Because they're thinking, oh my god, I, is that what I sound like? Yeah, and, absolutely. And so sometimes I've actually offered to say, can I just edit that for you? Like, give me that document, <laughs> and I'll edit it and take out every time I say kind of like um sort of like <laughs> kind of like. So, so bad. Do you listen he, to yourself? Peter Usnoff doesn't do that. Well, not anymore. He doesn't. No, oh, he didn't do that. But it's not too soon. He's well, been dead for years, for God's sake. Um, but yeah. So, do you listen to yourself? Do you do you, you know watch stuff and cringe a little bit when you when you think, say things like like and I don't um I don't as a rule like listen to my commentaries back sort of to get to sleep or anything. Like, I, <laughs> I find that a particularly comforting thing. <laughs> Writing down the number of times you say like that was yeah. thirty seven likes that time. I do it the same uh, when I listen back to the transcripts of my interviews. I say absolutely way too much. And uh, in terms of that's another big one for me. But uh, in terms of this new comic book, <laughs> hey, there you go, nice segue. Uh, how did it come about? It was absolutely. Um, <laughs> I didn't know where the rest of that sentence was going. No, basically, well, this is something that it's it's been a really interesting project because it only came about in January. In terms of mm-hmm. um, Microsoft asked me if I'd be interested in doing like an interactive project, and this is something that Brandon Generator is is essentially to show off all the snazziness that you mm-hmm. can do on HTML5 and IE9, but it's also kind of supposed to be like a creative site in that it's. Um, all, all that was really pitched to me was that something that's kind of interactive with a crowdsource element, Tommy Lee Edwards is going to draw it and we need somebody to write it. So, But the actual idea which it became, which I came up with is that what if you had a, a comic about a writer who's stuck <laughs> and at the end of the episode people reading it or watching it, you know, um, get to contribute yeah, and they yeah. can do that with prose and drawings and audio and then we or rather I, apply that into the next episode. So it's a way of like sort of basically kind of like uh, A, having like a bit of animation that you can watch and enjoy. And, you know, the, yeah. the, the artwork and the animation is really beautiful and Julian Barrett does the narration yeah. and David Holmes is doing the music and I've written it. But then at the end of it, you basically get to play around with his desktop. So there's that kind of strange thing of like, I think... What I came up with the idea is basically the character is kind of based on me. And, and last year, <laughs> in fact... I was going to say, yeah. Well, you know, it's also like a, a, a cry for help about my <laughs> ad, my addiction to the Nespresso pixie machine. Um, 
I keep mentioning Espresso Pixie and maybe they'll give me an extra one. <laughs> um, but basically, like, uh, I'd written this thing, like, last year on my own and it had been the first screenplay that I'd written for a long time on my own. I'd written with Simon Pegg and Joe Cornish and Michael Bacall and I hadn't written a screenplay on my own since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And it's a very different thing when you're working on your own because you're when you're, you're your own boss, you're completely vulnerable to yeah. distraction and procrastination. And so I sort of wrote Sort of, there you go, that's the first one. <laughs> Maybe there's been some more. Maybe you should play a drinking game. <laughs> oh, don't, I'll die. I'll die. Do not take a shot every time I say A shot of espresso every alcohol time. Alcohol poisoning. <laughs> shot of espresso. So I wrote this, uh, I wrote the tale that's basically an exaggerated version of me. Okay. And I like this idea that basically he has 13 expressos. I never had 13 expressos in a day. Maybe if I had eight, it's been my max. <laughs> Although, maybe eight double expressos, which is 16. Well, it's 16, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I've already gone over that limit. <laughs> Today? <laughs> Me and Simon became obsessed. I think it was around the time of Shaun of the Dead that there was this tabloid story about Peter Andre where he had eaten too many bananas. <laughs> <laughs> He'd eaten too many bananas and had had a sort of a potassium overload. <laughs> and so we fondly... And it's funny, it always comes up as calling it Peter Andre's banana meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was because I eat quite a lot of bananas as well. And I was in the back of my mind, I think, oh, I don't want to have a Peter Andre banana meltdown. Oh, it could be a great name for a cereal. I'd yeah. like, I'd, I would happily buy a box of Peter Andre's banana meltdown. <laughs> but uh, so the, the, the Brandon... Is essentially you. So you had? Did you have that last year? Then that, that fear bit. of the white cursor, the blinking cursor, and the white. I screen. do have this thing. That I think a blank. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that's in the first episode is kind of me talking. I do think <laughs> there's something weird about a blank document. Is a lot sort of more hypnotic and kind of scary than like a blank sheet of paper, because like as much as I write all the time on a laptop it's much easier to scribble and you kind of feel like you could fill up a whole piece of paper like without yeah. even thinking but actually sometimes just like a, a new document doesn't look particularly welcoming <laughs> whereas like any kind of like lined kind of pad you can fill up in seconds or like yeah. draw lots of doodles or in the margins and stuff so there was something to do with that in terms of um, and, and also I, I would do some stuff where I'd sort of just try and keep my kind of brain firing by looking for like random interjections be it like reading the paper and writing down odd surnames and street names okay and um also driving around in the car with like uh, the radio on scan have you ever done that like no. so where you just press scan looking for the next station but just leave it on there and i sometimes would record it and you get like little 20 seconds of everything Okay. And they'd just be so. I was sort of looking for sort of weird inspirations like that. And sometimes the way I arrange my iTunes is in a particularly weird OCD order of like length first. <laughs> you ever done that? Do you ever done duration? Have I've you ever played duration, your iTunes no. duration? No, but I, I'm I'm going to do it today. Well, start with the shortest ones, and it's kind of a trippy experience. All right. I don't really have a lot of short songs in there. You'll be surprised. Yeah. Well, I have I have about twenty thousand songs on mine. And so I, I sometimes like play it like sort of shortest ones first and it's kind of, you know, with, within like sort of, um, you know, 20 minutes you've heard like 40 songs, you know, it's kind of <laughs> interesting. So, but then there are things that Brandon does in the episode that I've never done. I've never done the Scrabble thing of trying to come up with a name by throwing a load of Scrabble letters. Okay, but have you done the uh, William S. Burroughs kind no, of technique? No, but that phrase comes from Beck. David Bowie used to do it, yeah. like cutting up the papers, and then Beck used to do it as well, and he used to call it word salad. And I thought well, that's a good phrase. <laughs> that's a lovely phrase. So I kind of that's that's um, uh, inspired by Beck. And um, what about the dictaphone thing? Do you do that? Do you record ideas on dictaphones? Sometimes I've done that when I've been driving. Sometimes if I've done a road trip, I've done that sometimes. 
I remember once I know I, I've recorded other people I've interviewed other people I remember one time I was talking so I interviewed somebody kind of when we were driving and just left the dictaphone running as we went to went go, go, go and get lunch so we just left in the car when I got back I realised there was going to be like a, a half an hour of good stuff and then literally <laughs> just like 90 minutes of dead air when we were having lunch so I just left it running in the car <laughs> but um, what else um, I think also as well I, I do like think sometimes a lot about the imagery that like everyday things conjure up like mm. the thesaurus yeah. and the search engine like I always kind of think there's things you just take for granted like the search engine and just to kind of try and think about what you know like Brandon if he's thinking about things too much he just starts to kind of and it's true I always thought thesaurus was a, a cool name for a dinosaur <laughs> <laughs> and that the search engine might actually have pistons and stuff <laughs> and maybe look a bit like the Lionsgate logo yeah well you know we haven't been to the headquarters of Google for all I know it, it could be us. I mean it could yeah or Bing or Bing Sorry. <laughs> we have to be all inclusive yeah. um, <laughs> there is a Bing it's not the BBC this is it no no yeah. we're okay other 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 other, other Googles search are available <laughs> other search engines are available <laughs> look for them on Google um, I mean there, there's a kind of a tradition of uh, writer's block literature in a way I mean, this, this kind of reminded me a little bit of Barton Fink and a little bit more of um that episode of, of Sandman uh, involving the news Calliope oh I, I never it's s- not that twisted all oh, right yeah I've never actually read that I'm out myself as a sort of get my geek car takeaway i've never I've never read that one actually I know we're right next door to forbidden planet <laughs> I guess you I could go and get it straight away <laughs> you could yeah yeah I, I actually have some forbidden planet vouchers I got no no excuses <laughs> uh yeah I guess so there's that what else is there like that like I guess there's things like um well what's funny as well is like, I like the idea of doing a a, a a comic about it in terms of um you know because you you wouldn't really you wouldn't do a Marvel comic about that kind of character. I like the thing of just kind of illustrating what's like your desk and beyond and what kind of fanciful things that he, I mean, the, the, the irony is supposed to be that he's completely stumped for ideas and yet he's like sort of over romanticizing everything (laughs) around him. So it's actually like, there are lots of ideas going on in the room. It's just like, but none of it's getting onto the page. Do you call that thing, the the, the idea was a Dracula time? I do, you know, that's, that's absolutely the place that I was staying in and, in LA at a certain time of day because the sunlight is really bright there it would come through the window and hit the desk and I would have to move at 10.30 because the shaft of sunlight was so bright <laughs> so it was a weird thing in your daily routine if you're like work you know thinking oh I can start working at 9 yeah. and at 10.30 I've got to move for an hour because that's when the light hits that desk <laughs> through this kind of like high window right yeah and I would call it 10.30 would be Dracula o'clock yeah that's absolutely that, that's yeah Less so a lot reduced. of those things are like are absolutely real so I kind of thought I'd take all these things that have a lot of visual imagery, imagery to them and I wanted kind of people using it to feel like they were looking at a mirror do you know what I mean yeah and it's a nice thing that after you watch the animation film then you're playing in his hub but you're essentially looking at his desk yes <laughs> like yes. it's a weird thing of looking at your laptop his laptop you know what I really like about the idea as well is that it's about writer's block but it's challenging essentially everyone who watched it to overcome writer's block and yeah. come up with ideas for uh, for Brandon. Well, what's really cool, I don't know if you've been on there and there's all people's submissions are on the site now. Like, so you can look at all the sketches and all the pros and listen to all the voicemails. And what's really interesting about the pros is how many people have just picked up the ball and run with it in terms of writing in what they perceive to be Brandon's voice. Okay. So taking themes from what's in the film already. So it's not like, I know, they did that competition on... There's that thing on Amazon where they would like wanted spec scripts on Amazon and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So of course with that you're just going to get whatever body's got to hand. But with this, people have specifically written 
something having just watched the film and then the tool is right there and they're listening to the music that's still playing and they write something that's in keeping with the tone so what I've been really impressed by and there are like thousands of them and I've read like nearly all of them (laughs) is uh, how many people are kind of writing in the same voice and there are even like people who are like established like screenwriters who've written like Max Landis and Seth Graham Smith both wrote wow, bits really? on there. But I think just to amuse themselves. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, yeah. almost like a thing because if you do have writer's block or any kind of creative block, the best thing to do is go off and do something else and then come back. Mm. And so in a way, the website gives you that opportunity to kind of fool around and it's like, you know, draw a monster write the next 500 words you know and at the end of each episode there'll be another like kind of prompt of like okay do this like give people a task it's and a- with different talents as well I think people are a bit people are a bit more um, they've been more prose and sketches than voicemails people are a bit more chicken about the voicemails <laughs> and there's as well there's a lot of good ones on there but there's also a lot of people that kind of like hang up immediately <laughs> so they call the number to see if it's real and then you get if you've called the number you get julian's voicemail oh really yeah so you get a voicemail oh. from brandon but then what's funny is that and there's some really good ones and the thing is you know and what genuinely because sometimes with these things when they're these interactive projects it's all been written before and then it gives you the the feeling of that you can control it but mm. when people watch episode 2 there'll be 7 or 8 people who will flip out when they kind of when Julian is reading their words loud or their awesome. voicemail is in the animation and stuff does that make your job easier in a way as a it's writer it's just kind of it's just fun really the whole idea with it was that i thought you know, the name of it is, it's a play on words with random generator. I thought, I will, I'm happy to take kind of these curveball suggestions from people mm. and try and incorporate them into the story. And so it's been, it's been fun to do that without, you know, and it's not just from one person. I'd like to sort of take, probably in the second episode, there's stuff from eight different people. And, uh, you know, so they'll all be credited by their Twitter and Skype names, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, you, do you find, you know, that uh, is anyone trying to become Brandon have you just have you just seen that yet that that phenomenon because you know given the films you've been involved with you've 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 seen the uh, the, the the further reaches I guess of, of fandom people I guess, up so. I guess I guess with this it's that it more more of what I've got is people kind of said especially other writer friends of mine have sort of said oh um, I didn't I mean, Drew Goddard watched the, the the film and he emailed me and he says how did you know about my daily routine <laughs> like, so I think more for people like kind of like because you know like so many of us in, in all different kind of like walks of life our our day is sitting in front of that screen yeah you know and uh, and it's it's both kind of like an, an amazing thing and also like a little prison as well do you know what I mean yeah it could be it could be terrifying yeah it really can and it's not a li- you know and it's it's, it's there's the, um, it's and also what's amazing with this is just to kind of like mirror the whole experience is that for the most part all of the different people working on it have all been in separate kind of cities or countries and I'm the only person who's kind of actually sort of talked to each one of them like the dis- disparate people have not necessarily met. Like, so <laughs> Julian Barrett has not met Tommy Lee Edwards. Tommy Lee Edwards has not met David Holmes. Okay. And I'm sort of, you know, kind of overseeing it in two different countries with them in, you know, four different cities, you know. So that's kind of interesting. So, did, um... so in that sense, it's kind of all done by emails and Skype calls and, you know, and just over the computer. I mean, so did you um when you came aboard Tommy was our uh, Tommy Lee Edwards was yeah, all, yeah. already on board but did you bring David Holmes and Julian yeah, on Yeah I did. Well Julian and I've known since Asylum probably never to be on DVD because um, <laughs> I think whoever like signed the contracts at the time never did like a, a, a it was before people knew about DVDs. Right. So yes. one of those things where they uh, so So Betamax. 
Um, <laughs> have you ever seen it? No, I haven't seen it. It's pretty. It's pretty crazy. It's, it's the sort of. It's the. It's a real kind of like sort of lost kind of um, cult item. I guess the people who have it have it on VHS, but mm. it has like a crazy cast of like Simon, Jessica, Bill Bailey, uh, Julian Barrett. Um, I don't think you think uh, I've seen anything on YouTube. Is it on YouTube? I think is it, it is on, on, YouTube. on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's pretty crazy, and in fact, like Julian's character in Asylum is a guy called Victor, and that became the model for Brian in Spaced. Right. And then for various reasons, Julian couldn't do it. Um, and Mark Heap kind of came in and sort of changed the character actually then it became sort of something different but there was a point where Julian was going to be in Spaced okay. um, as the sort of like you know the third lead I've been friends with him ever since and we did a music video together as well I've always wanted an excuse to work with him again yeah. in fact I worked on the Mighty Boosh pilot with them weirdly just before Sean Dead I was like their script editor on like I think I script edited like three episodes like the pilot and two of the episodes of wow. the show so I, I've known them forever, and I, I love Julian dearly. Do you think much about those days, the asylum days and the, the Bush days? I mean, Yeah, I mean, the nice thing, this is extended to, like, you know, some of that Scott Pilgrim as well, but, you know, Spaced and Asylum, is that all, those, all remain friends, you know, like, I before, like, Asylum, I worked with, uh, did this show called Mash and Peas <laughs> with Matt <laughs> Lucas and David Williams. And, like, I have seen you know, that, yeah. We're all still very close, and, you know, Dave's, you know, kind of one of my closest friends, and... Uh, you know, so yeah, no, but but also, um, I guess around the same time as well, like, um, you know, the League of Gentlemen guys and stuff, mm. people coming through together all, like, remain friends and kind of colleagues and stuff and collaborators, and that's always been really great, you know. There's always a sense, uh, I guess, that comedians stick together as a bit of a community, a bit of a club. Do you find that in the States as well? I guess that there's generations that come through. I guess mm. probably more with comedy, comedy actors. I don't know, sometimes, like stand-up comedians are more kind of like lone wolves and stuff but I, I, I guess there's always like a generation of people that come together and you know like certainly like with Scott Pilgrim like all of the cast have all remained friends and you know so it's a nice thing that through that movie I can be sitting in a bar with Michael Sarah and Chris Evans and we all be <laughs> thick as thieves and you never would have thought those two would be friends in a million years but they are <laughs> did you uh, did you see Chris at the uh, Avengers premiere I did yeah. I did you liked the film I guess I did yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I thought it was great. I thought it was fantastic. And um, I was really, really impressed by it. And I can't wait to see it again. I guess we have to ask about Ant-Man. What's, what's happening? You don't have to ask about Ant-Man. I, I do. I'm I feel interested. like you've asked me about 20 times over I know, the last but, you know, years. But I haven't asked you for about three years. <laughs> so I think I'm allowed think to true. ask about Ant-Man. I think I, I, I've got tapes. I've I got have tapes. this thing, though, I think, sort of, it's that I get quite kind of, like, superstitious because I feel like... I don't think anybody, like... Um, you know, reading magazines or reading websites and stuff quite understands how hard it is to make a film and how long it takes. And because, like, the film websites update, like, hourly, people think, <laughs> what's the fucking hold-up? Like, why aren't you making it? Just make it, like, man. Come on. Well, just make it. Why isn't yeah. it coming out tomorrow? Just cast someone really tiny and off and you go. Like, you know, but every film that I've made has taken, like, three years, like, each one. Like, it's been three years between movies. I would love for that gap to be shorter, but the truth is, it's just, like, you know, there's, like... um it's almost like a holding pattern. It's like sort of there's like planes in the air and you've got to figure out which one's going to mm. land before they all crash like Die Hard 2. <laughs> <laughs> Smack into the concrete. Colmenia did controls. That's a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
in answer to your question, yes, no. th- things are things <laughs> things are happening. Okay, things are happening, and the other things are happening on other things as well. Okay, okay, <laughs> interesting. Because I was so I was scrutinising. I said there's there's some there's some interesting plates spinning, and I hope like sort of uh, I I dearly hope I'll be shooting this year. Okay, because obviously you've got a ton of stuff. Is this screenplay that you wrote on your own? Is that a complete screenplay? Is, did you finish it? And is that something that you want to do yourself, or yeah. was that an exercise? Just an no, exercise? No, no, I, no. I, believe me, it's too, it's too hard work to do just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean you also like you know, I, I why you know I I very feel very fortunate to be able to call my um, hobby a career you know mm. like I was, I'm not working in a coal mine so but yeah I know it's the thing that I wrote on my own was for, for me to direct yeah mm. and um, I guess like last year I was you know mostly kind of writing because I wrote with Joe and wrote with Simon and wrote something on my own so you know last year I between three different projects I'd written five drafts or something okay yeah. Uh, everyone at the same time the way that James Cameron wrote Aliens and, and Rambo 2 at the same time no never quite I think I did that once maybe with like Scott Pilgrim and Hot Fuzz bizarrely really of course the, 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 the very chronological first chronological sense yeah. yeah yeah okay so uh, so uh, I spoke to Simon recently the other, the other week and he said that World's End is looking very very good for this year hopefully yes I don't want to jinx anything yeah I know but I don't know if it if it does get jinxed, it's Chris Hewitt's fault. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to say that now on the podcast: if the film doesn't get made this year, it is Chris Hewitt's fault. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. It's now the, it's still the the two flavors Cornetto trilogy now because <laughs> it won't be a third. But fingers crossed. I mean, oh yeah, fingers, no, yeah. it's written and we really want to make it, and we just kind of have to, you know, there's all the sort of the. Um, the boring stuff that the readers don't want to hear about that goes into making films. Yeah, they film. do. Because they want to be in your seat. They want to be know, in your but shoes. Like, I think sort of, you know, like, you know, it's not easy to make a film and it gets less easy every passing year. I think sort of, you know, so, um, you know, there, there are all, all those things that kind of like, I think people think that you write it and then like it's coming out the next the next week and stuff but you we, put it into a generator and it comes out yeah. as a film yeah but yeah no it's written and we really want to do it and uh, we're just trying to figure that out mm. but it's like yeah interesting so it, it gets harder how does it get harder I think just like because the industry's changing and stuff and I think sort of one of the things that um, you know that I think you'll find everybody complains about is that, that um, there are like 200 million dollar films and 5 million dollar films and not that many films in between mm-hmm. so you know, one of the things that's kind of sad is that the sort of the mid-budget film is like sort of becoming a rapidly extinct beast, and uh, and weirdly, when there are like big hits, like I don't know, like Paranormal Activity or you know stuff like that, people say just do it like that, <laughs> just shoot it on a CCTV, <laughs> fuck it, I make like two hundred million dollars, yeah. shoot it on CCTV, bish bash done. <laughs> that said, I do I do actually admire those films, but um, so I think that's the thing that's tricky is that like that it's that there's definitely with the uh, you know kind of piracy and like sort of see we're going to get all depressing now no no like, I don't want to I don't want to bum all the readers out Come but on, you know with like fine. kind of piracy is like made the profit margins get smaller and therefore like studios want to like bank on like you know what's a big franchise thing and mm. you also don't get any like points for making an original film like don't think that that's necessarily going to help you get something made it's like hey we have this original script and they go mm, could it not be an original script you know like, and that's that's been the case for like the last 20 years and stuff as well yeah. in, in terms of comics and TV shows and, and remakes well it's one of know. the things isn't it that uh, nowadays it's easier to for a screenwriter almost to have their idea turned into a comic first 
Yes, and then no, that's happened a, a couple of times. A film, yeah. And also, I think sometimes, kind of like a lot of remakes, some of which I've been offered, which I will not name, <laughs> but it sort of seems like it's just kind of um, there's no new idea behind doing it other than it's a famous title and yeah. you should yeah. do it. Yeah. You know, you know, back in the 80s, I'm not against remakes because like The Fly and The Thing, the thing like, yeah. are amazing and yeah. they have like a new point of view. Like the, the difference between Cronenberg's The Fly and the 50s one, which is only like, what, a 28 year gap, but the, you know, the difference is huge. Yeah. But now you get kind of movies that are like being remade from the 80s that are basically just the same beats again, or sometimes even the same script, you yeah. know. So that I find sort of strange where it's like there's there's no reason to remake it other than that it's a famous title and maybe people will go because they recognize the title, you mm. know. Yeah, absolutely. But have you ever been tempted? I mean, you, you have been offered, you know, as you say, remakes. You've been offered big films in the past. You've turned them all down. Have you ever been tempted to do that one for me, one for them, if I make this and maybe we can get World's End greenlit that much easier? Or has it never really crossed your mind? Well, you know, like sort of, I mean... A Marvel movie would be like sort of my idea of doing like you know something kind of um, you know like a, a, a it's a, a franchise film, yeah, yeah. but you know they're actually you know like they also kind of have a good kind of record of letting kind of writer directors do their thing, you know. So I, that to me, and I'm you know like sort of developing this um, Kolchak remake with Johnny Depp, which is kind of exciting, and uh, you know that's sort of like just seems like too much fun to like be like you know like oh this is this is a lot of fun this yeah is, you know like so so it, it, you know sometimes then there's like remakes that come through and you kind of think oh mm. what's the script gonna but that's be a like? remake of something that not a lot of people really know about in a, in yeah a, in a it's way. it's and and that's actually a good thing in some respects mm. because it's it's something it's actually a very influential um yeah. you know tv movie and tv series you Absolutely. know like the precursors the x-files yeah. and everything and 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 really quite interesting. I I had seen it, I knew of it from the TV movie watching it on BBC Two. I remember watching The Night Stalker on BBC Two one night and being like, "Oh my god, what is this?" <laughs> I had no idea really what it was about, and it completely kind of floored me and stuff. But I think when sort of, it's funny though. Sometimes there's remakes that you read and you kind of think, "Oh, so it's the same movie." So, no, like no kind of refit at all. It's just like. Just redo that movie because yeah, it's got yeah. a famous title. Different camera angles. Mm. Sometimes, yeah, some, sometimes the same camera angles, yeah. Not even that sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I find that kind of stuff strange. And like so, and there's sometimes when things are sort of like, also the kind of the, the turnover of reboots and stuff is so fast now mm. that it just, um, I don't know. I mean, you know, if the, right, if the right thing came along like that, then yeah, it could be fun. But like, I, I also sort of want to try and be on in on the ground floor or something because it's so kind of, hard to make a film and it's so much of your life that you don't want to be doing anything just kind of like to go through the motions mm. yeah because it's that thing in terms of that that one for me one for them thing it's still two years of your life so you don't want to be like it's like sort of even if you're doing a bigger budget film that's maybe like more of a, a commercial property it still wants to be something that you feel in your gut otherwise don't do it you know he seemed really enthusiastic he did yeah. It, so, uh, yeah yeah um no i think that's the th- yeah like i think people have you know kind of um but I think then the lines get blurred as well like, in terms of, um, I think there are people who kind of had done that kind of, um, I guess like Steven Soderbergh is the other kind of mm. classic example yes. of like, but then 
you know, for somebody who's retiring, he seems to have like sort of like like more films out. He's he's done more films in like the last six months than I've done in my entire career. <laughs> so I take my hat off to him. God bless him. One one for them and eighteen for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um Edgar, we gotta let you go in a second. How many more uh Brandon generator episodes can you there can th- you generate? There Brandon? are three more. Three more to come. And then maybe if people like it, maybe we'll do more in the future, but three more. Okay, okay, excellent. Uh, well, we have uh, some you questions. Got some quick fire questions. Oh, you got questions from the from the from, from the, the audience, the Twitter out there. Yeah, uh, this is from Emma Conway at Miss Flywheel. She asks, not necessarily connected to your career, uh, who'd win in a fight between the Thundercats and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Well, let's let's be specific. Are the turtles turtles or aliens? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe a score draw. <laughs> they both got so, their powers. Someone might win in penalties. Uh, Sean Miller asks what makes a great screenplay I think you know uh, well there's there's the million answers to that but I tell you something that always makes the mark of a really great screenplay is a f- great final scene mm. if you like nail the final scene like what did I watch recently that I'd never seen before that had an amazing last scene and it was a good film but then the last scene just kind of tipped it over the top to be like a classic it was um, Cary Grant movie The Awful Truth and oh, it's yeah. like a great kind of screwball film but then the last scene is so brilliantly written and such a beautiful like last even just the last line mm-hmm. I think like a great great last scene is that that's what always like makes a classic it's interesting because um, name drop time but I was talking to Tarantino the other week <sighs> who, you, a friend, who, who you might know a man called Tarantino yeah. <laughs> and he said that he doesn't really do that he starts off he writes half the script and then the second half kind of dictates itself but he's written some amazing Yeah, I mean, endings. you don't start the last... You know, start with the last scene. But, no, but have you ever done that? Have you ever thought of the ending and then gone backwards? Or I think you, you, you know where you need to get to. I've, I've never written something not knowing what the ending is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never done that. Like, some people do that where they start something and don't really know where it's going to end up. I've never really done that, um, apart from Brandon Generator. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is true. Um, so, yeah. But I, I, I think it's like... Uh, yeah, I think it's that thing. I mean, there's all the, the you know, there's a million like screenwriting tips and stuff. The other one that's a really good tip, I think, is always true: is like sort of start late and leave early. Like start the scene late and get out early. You know. Okay. Don't yeah. have too many people walking through doors. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Okay. That's top advice. Uh, Eddie Shannon says, "Is there any chance we'll see a spaced Blu-ray?" Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much better it would look. I guess it would look better. Um, so I'm sure nobody's ever mentioned it but it's you know like um, I guess it's worth inquiring about and stuff I, I don't know like because it's shot on like beta SP I guess the, <laughs> yeah, uh, look, yeah. first one was no, they're both on Digibia so I guess it'll look better yeah look so at some point is the answer there uh, Jordan Bowers asked you, so, so you say Chris point. Yeah, <laughs> he just made the release yeah, I'll just, yeah <laughs> at some point yeah so uh, so far, I've destroyed World's End. <laughs> I'm promising people a Blu-ray they may never get. We're doing well. Uh, Jordan Bowers asks, after doing Scott Pilgrim, do you believe your work's at its best with or without Simon? Oh, that's a silly question. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I you know I love working with Simon, but, uh, you know, Simon works with other directors, so I think I'm allowed to work with other actors. Ian Reeves asks, uh, you do these incredible double bills at the New Bev and, and whatnot in, in LA. Uh, would you ever do one over here? I, I have done one over here. I did one at the, I did one at the Prince Charles once. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of did one at the um, film for summer summer screen. Yeah, yeah, I done ones over here. Yeah, I miss you know I'm going to say I miss the balcony in the Prince Charles. (laughs) If I had a squillion dollars, I would buy the Prince Charles and I would reinstate the balcony. Okay, it makes me I like it there and I love the people there. They're the coolest people who run that thing. But I always say to say I miss your balcony. 
That's my favourite place to sit. Let's get a, t- a petition going. Okay, so Josh Lindbergh asks, how vividly do you see your sharply cut mini montages when reading the script? Well, I write the script, so kind mm-hmm. of like, I don't like read the scripts and think where they go in. But I mean, you- I did that with Spaced. Uh, but in Shaun of the Dead, like, um, they're written into the script. I don't put a lot of like stage directions in about what the visuals are going to be because I don't have to communicate that. I'm not writing to communicate sure. that to somebody else. But what about something like uh, Tintin? Yeah, again, didn't write a lot of kind of descriptive action in that because A, there's the books and B, I'm not going to tell Steven Spielberg what <laughs> camera angle to do. No, it must so, be a close-up at this point. I, te- I, I also was, if I'm reading a script, here's another like writing tip, is that don't do too much um, stage directions. Okay. Because it like becomes really like a chore to read. And I sort of try and do, uh, you know, like, you know, and the, the ones that me and Simon have written and stuff, like the kind of the barest, like, um, you know, kind of um, stage directions because it becomes really like a tough read if there's a lot of prose like if you're reading a screenplay and there's an entire page of like prose without any dialogue you mm-hmm. go Oof. and some people just skip through it completely yeah. like you'd be amazed and then people who read scripts who just read the dialogue and don't read the stage directions at all <laughs> I think I've seen some of those movies actually um, Michael Davis who directed Shoot'em Up uh, said that he, he writes his stage directions one line at a time then double space one line at a time yeah yeah can't take there's great it. like sort of um, the people who write like that is really good if you ever read any old Walter Hill scripts mm-hmm. like The Driver or The Warriors The Driver script particularly is really good because it kind of like it reads like a sort of haiku like he sort of like strips it all down and it's kind of a bit like the way James Elroy like writes and stuff it's all kind of adjectives and it's really it's really good but I would say if anybody's interesting in writing it's worth reading some of his things because they he does it in such a great kind of hard-boiled style, and it's really easy to follow, but it's not overwritten. Yeah. Where would you get those? Um, you can get the driver screenplay. I have found it somewhere. It's online, <laughs> it's online somewhere. If I found it, it must be it must be gettable. <laughs> Contact Edgar for more information. Um, yeah, I'll just photocopy. Anybody yeah, wants one, I'll just photocopy just, a bunch. Just, just tweet it later on. Yeah. Uh, one line at a time. Chronique's du Canapé, great name, says, you tweeted a picture of the World's End second draft. Will it be Simon th- did actually. Simon did. Will it be a third draft, or are you happy enough with it? Have you stopped the second? Well, you kind of keep doing. I, I I actually said that to Simon. I said, "Why didn't you tweet? Why did you tweet the old cover page?" <laughs> like, because uh, uh, you think you keep working on it and stuff. I mean, we, that said, we're pretty happy with it, and um, you know, but something like that, you keep working on it, and you know, usually with like ones you actually hand in, there are more actual revolutions that you've gone through yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You do more drafts yourself for everyone that you actually kind of hand into the studio you know yeah. uh, just a couple of last very very quick ones guy called Matthew Abbott asks what's your favourite band album song film book food everything that's just narrowed down to one uh, what's your favourite album I like Orange by the John Spencer Blues Explosion okay there you go good one uh, Fat Pete asks we're staying at the Crown in Wells in July would you recommend the Chinese crispy duck leg <laughs> do you, have you been to the Crown do you know uh, would the inter- I don't want to like the the interior of the crown in the mm-hmm. film is somewhere else. Like the exterior of the crown is 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 in Hot Fuzz. The interior yeah. is a place called the Royal Standard in Beaconsfield. Ah, so if they want to do the tour, they should stay in the Crown and Wells and then do a road trip and stay and then go to the Royal Standard in Beaconsfield as well. It's mer- but I have eaten in the restaurant there and it's nice. I think it's called Anton's. <laughs> okay. And I think 
yeah, there's, there's, you know, I think we ate in every, obviously it's my hometown, but definitely during the shoot we ate in every restaurant in the world. <laughs> Fantastic. And the last one. I can do a few more. I'm good. Oh, I can, I can, most of them I are can, about do, I can do bonus round. Or World's End, or, or you know, stuff you've been asked already. Alex, AK, AKLman47 asks, ever felt like making a Banana Man movie? No. <laughs> I think sort of Peter Andre taught us all a great cautionary like lesson <laughs> is that you could have a banana meltdown. <laughs> Edgar writes banana man meltdown. Although uh, I did used to like banana man. That was one of the goodies. I loved it, yeah. The goodies did their voices, right? Did, yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, did it. Graham, yeah. Wasn't yeah. Graham Garden the and voice Timber of Banana Taylor. Man? Yeah, yeah. I don't think was Bill Audie involved in that I one. Know. I don't think he was. I think it was just a a Timber Taylor Graham Garden joint. <laughs> Fathoms of Rubies asks what movie slash movies do you think inspired you to become a director oh that's easy i'd say <laughs> um raiders of the lost ark the evil dead american wealth in london mm-hmm. raising arizona taxi driver i don't mention taxi driver enough because it's one it's one of the there's some of those kind of classics that you think it's almost pointless mentioning them because everybody does but yeah taxi driver i'll tell you other big films for me when i was like dirty harry taxi driver 2001 yeah, that's that's good enough, isn't it? That's a good list. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad list. Uh, and then Ackleman again asks, uh, "You love coffee, mm. but what are your opinions on tea?" I like tea sometimes. When I'm when I've kind of had too much coffee, I like to switch it up with with a strong white tea, no sugar. <laughs> it's got a bag's got to be in there for quite a long time. Any particular brand? PG Tips. There you go. We're the BBC. We can. Rec- we're not the BBC. We're not the BBC. We're not the BBC. Let's get this right. False advertising. We can. Yes, we can recommend actual brands. Uh, and a couple of people have asked about the reaction to Scott Pilgrim and its, its, mm. its reception. Uh, were you disappointed, box office wise, or because it's, it's become this this great cult thing over the last couple of years? Well, you know, like it's it's a weird thing because it's a, a, like. You just all that you know when something like that kind of like when it sort of doesn't do as well as everybody hopes mm. is that if you're proud of it and you know it's good and and I was really proud of it and I knew that the cast was and you know the the studio was as well so then it's just the thing about well you just have to kind of resign yourself to it's just going to take a bit longer to get the word out so it's not like sort of I think the thing is in this kind of like uh, culture now is people want to kind of write the epitaph of a movie. 72 hours after it's come out even like if you read the <laughs> yeah. box office websites by f- Friday afternoon yeah. not yeah. even even before it's opened in LA they've already kind of gone you know called time on something mm. and the fact of the matter is is that all the movies we love you know kind of last for years and years whether yeah. it's like The Wizard of Oz or Big Lebowski things you can't tell the story of a movie in three days so I was not that kind of bummed out because I knew I was happy with the movie and so it's something where, you know, I mean, Shaun of the Dead wasn't really a hit in the States, but, you know, everybody's seen it now. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, so you kind of know some things are just kind of like meant to kind of have, uh, you know, some things kind of perform in years, not days, you know. Absolutely. But at the same time, it was such a risky proposition. It was a movie unlike anything that was out there that year. So you, you must have been pleased that it did reach as many people as it did initially. Well, I think the thing that's like that, that's it's a it's a creative gamble, uh, like for everybody involved. But it's a gamble worth taking because most of the movies that are out there, like sixty, seventy percent of them, are like complete kind of generic cookie cutter things that yeah. they literally kind of like they do exactly what they say on the tin, and they have a title which tells you exactly what it's going to be, and people go and see them but don't think about them 
uh, for more than like they've already forgotten about them when the credits are still rolling and probably never think about them ever again mm. and then you know other films that are a bit maybe a bit more complicated or you know something that's got in with something where it wasn't easy to kind of like boil down to one sentence yeah now does that mean it's a bad film not necessarily it just that's means it. it's like a bit more of a challenge to market and that's really kind of what it's sort of about like and it's interesting, like, in the last year, you kind of see, like, sort of titles and movies that, like, tell you exactly what you're going to see. Yep, the old Bridesmaids, old Horrible yep. Bosses, you know. And, Salmon and, Fishing in the Yemen. <laughs> <laughs> but it's weird, like, when you sort of then get titles that kind of a bit more oblique, you kind of go, oh, what's that about? Whereas, like, Horrible Bosses go, oh, yeah, I know what, I know what that's about. Yeah. I've had a horrible boss. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. What is it? Is it a tennis movie? What is it? What's it about? What? Who's Who's Scott Pilgrim? Yeah. Um. So you know, it's that kind of thing, like sort of, and it's that strange thing where, if it's any kind of property and stuff, you get those weird questions, like where people say, "Do I have to have read the books to enjoy the film?" And I was thinking, <laughs> "Well, did you have to read Jaws before you saw Jaws?" <laughs> like sort yeah. of, you know. So, you know, but listen, the, the the short answer is I'm really proud of it. And yeah. I just like wasn't disappointed as much as just knew that, like, I had to keep getting the word out and stuff. Yeah. And also kind of keep your head held high, because sometimes when kind of films don't do as well as they should have, when the DVD comes out, everybody fucking runs for the hills. Now, the fact that we got all the cast back to do kind of press for the DVDs should say oh, something. Oh, you mean they disassociate yeah. themselves yeah, yeah, yeah. in a way? Okay. No, that happened. I mean, you notice that yeah. with nearly everything is that, like, the films like probably you shouldn't mention, but, like, you'll notice that when the DVD comes out, like, you can't get an interview with anybody, you know? Yeah. But we, myself, like, Michael, like, Mary, Kieran Culkin, like, went out and did more press for it because we were proud of it and we're thinking, we still want people to see this movie. And the nice thing about that is it's still playing, like, on big screens when... Some like big hits never get shown in rep cinemas Absolutely. ever again. Absolutely. Like even films that are pretty good, like they're kind of like they're a hit, and then nobody ever thinks to see it on the cinema ever again. But the nice thing with Scott Pilgrim is it's already, like, you know, been shown something like five hundred times after <laughs> it left theaters on the big screen. That's Scott not Pilgrim bad. Lives. That's not so that's bad. Nice. Well, um, several people have asked as well uh, via Twitter about a sequel to Scott Pilgrim now. Last a couple of weeks ago, Anchorman Two was greenlit again. That was a movie that perhaps underperformed when it came out. And then, no, I know in the states, I think that was yeah, pretty big. But yeah, but it's become this huge thing over yeah. the last few years. Do you do you think that might happen with Scott Pilgrim? Is that a world you'd like to revisit? I don't know. I think so. I kind of probably got something out of my system doing that movie, and I think also because the cast is so young, I think it's something not dissimilar to Spaced. It's kind of like sort of maybe forever be frozen in time in terms of like. I don't think even Michael Sarah wouldn't be one of playing Scott Pilgrim at 35. <laughs> like, so I think it's like, you know, like one of those things where it's like, it's exactly the same reason there isn't a third space is it's, it's nicer to leave Tim and Daisy. You know, like Space Series 2 was not a hit at the time. One of the reasons there isn't a third space is because like the second series of Space got less viewers than the first one. Did it? Yeah. And so even though we could have got a third series, they wanted to commission it. There was a point where I kind of thought, what's the point of this like how and even the repeats this is the real mystery the repeats of the first series got more and more ratings leading up to the second one so I was thinking oh wow this is great like it's getting the repeats are getting more ratings than the first time it went out and then like when the first episode of the second series came out it dropped like one and a half million between a repeat and the first episode so you kind of go wait what (laughs) like so but then like cut to like five years later everybody has it on DVD yeah 
and but not Blu-ray yet. Not Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have it on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> We've established that, and by answering the question about Space Series Three, you've also answered every other question on Twitter as well. So you, you, you don't want to see those characters older. Listen, you got to you know take the lesson of the young ones, like drive off the drive off a cliff and never go back. Are you not interested in, in completion? I love the idea of going back and. Sorry. Well, you know the. the, the the one like sort of thing that I thought did that really well that I was and I thought it was better than the original film was Before Sunrise. Yeah. Mm. Like I thought that's amazing and I'd watch another one in 10 years of that and I thought Before Sunrise was amazing. So that was kind of interesting. But anyway, I think we have to go now. <laughs> Edgar, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Cheers.